Hey, Bible Stormers, and welcome to the final episode of Season 5 of the Bible Storming Podcast here on the Scattered Abroad Network. It's good to be back with all of you, although currently it is pretty late at night where I'm at, and I would rather be asleep right now, but I'm going to be just hop on for a couple minutes here to introduce this audio for the final episode, which I'm very excited about. It's a little bit different than the rest of the episodes for this season, but we finished up our discussion of the honor and shame dynamics and cultures with the last episode, and we make the rules around here, right? So we can do whatever we want. So in this episode, I'm actually uh, double dipping a little bit and pulling in an audio clip that uh, from a conversation that I sat down um, with my good friend, Daniel Parrish, who's actually been on an earlier episode of the Bible Storming Podcast as well. And we talked through Kings, the book of First and Second Kings, and the wisdom literature of Solomon, who is obviously a major character in the King's Scroll. The First and Second Kings were originally one unified document. So those the three books, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Job, all trace back to Israel's wisdom tradition, which traces back to Solomon, who is known as the godfather of the wisdom tradition of Israel. So I've just been in these books for the last, I don't even know, a couple months, I guess. And really what initiated it was studying for the Memphis School of Preaching lectures. And I know the MSOP has had a tremendous impact on the hosts and directors of this network. So the, the lectureship this year was on Proverbs and wisdom, and studying for my lecture at the, the lectureship really has inspired me to stay in these books over the past couple of months and really try to let them become my own, to let them, more than just my taking ownership of them, to let them take ownership of me, and try to go after living the good life being a wise human, being good at life. So this is a little bit long um, for what our episodes normally are, but I hope you enjoy this, this kind of wide-ranging, but we tried to focus in <laughs> on the wisdom books and the wisdom man himself, Solomon. But this conversation that I have with my good friend, and I hope it'll bless you just like it blessed me. Um, it is another fantastic day. Dude, it's so beautiful outside right now. And uh, just sitting here with D-Webb. D-Webb, how you doing? So, man? I'm like, as we record this, we are mid-finals week for me. So <laughs> I came in here. I'm loving how it feels outside. But inside, I'm just like not feeling the vibes. <laughs> I'm just ready for this week to be over. But it's always a good time to sit down and get to talk about the Bible um, on our fancy podcast for sure <laughs> absolutely man yeah uh there's a lot of people going through finals right now uh Shoot. so just know uh we're praying for you guys <laughs> yes and uh we hope you all the best this week and that you get some sleep because that is mm. a pretty rare thing that sounds so nice finals week but uh anyway this week we are moving on in the story of the bible and we're talking about kings uh which is like i don't know it's not the most encouraging book in the bible yeah <laughs> uh but there's there, it it is part of the story yeah and uh it's definitely interesting like yeah it's really interesting it's a fun book to read for sure uh especially you know i know we mentioned this last week with sam you know it kind of gives us hints of samuel just like a lot of action stories mm -hmm. and a lot of things like that uh which is super cool it's just like the people aren't as good yeah <laughs> right so <laughs> kind of go downhill for sure absolutely so uh anyway um I don't know where exactly we want to start. We didn't even <laughs> yeah. like say exactly where we want to start, but is there any place for you that you're like, this is the place we need to start this week in this podcast? I think for me, like I'm really stuck on Solomon. Like he's kind of the big character at the beginning of Kings. And I guess we should say again, like Samuel Kings, the first and second Kings were originally one book. So yep. we're kind of trading them as, as one for sure. And we're not necessarily going to walk through the story, I don't think, on this episode, unless uh, you want to toward the end, I, I think. But I think kind of where I'm focusing on is on Solomon, because he's such an interesting character, where he he he's like Jekyll and Hyde. That's an old reference, but it's it's where like some of Solomon, as you read the narrative, you're like, 
man, this guy's awesome. Mm-hmm. He does so many good things. Yeah. But then even as this, it's, it's almost like a building being built and this building is so beautiful, but you realize looking like, <laughs> you know what? Switching analogies, Titanic. So as the Titanic is built, everybody's looking at it like that that is a ship, you know, like that is what we've been working toward throughout humanity's history. We finally made it, but then it sinks, you know, spoiler alert, by the way, the Titanic sinks and looking back, you can find all kinds of articles and whatever on like, Oh wow. No, there were some serious flaws Mm. in the Titanic design. Yeah. That's kind of Solomon. Like as we go through the narrative, Solomon's being built up as this awesome character. He's so good. But then he crashes and burns. <laughs> and then looking back, we're like, oh, wait, we should have seen that coming all along. Like there were these little hints dropped mm. in the narrative that said, hey, you know, he might not be everything he's cracked up to be. For sure. You know? So he's this fascinating character that I think we should at least, you know, camp out with for a while. For sure. Yeah. So is it cool if we like talk about his kind of rise and then maybe we can turn that around and we'll talk about maybe some of the things that we should have seen. Yes. Like, yeah. You want to okay. like, yeah, let's spin it. Let's, <laughs> let's give a story, you know? For sure. Yeah. Let's, let's focus it. on the good and then maybe bring out the bad. So he does a lot of great things. Yeah. You know, like For he's, sure. he's truly amazing. Um, Maybe the first big story with Solomon is when he's, you know, rising in power and, it's, it tells us in chapter three, uh, verse three of first Kings that Solomon loved the Lord. And that's not something that's said of very many people in the Hebrew scriptures in the old Testament. It's not something that can be said of many people, you know, in the history of people, <laughs> relatively speaking. So he's, he's doing this awesome thing. And here in first Kings three, we have our genie and Aladdin moment <laughs> when, um, you know, in, in Aladdin. So I, my mom directed a theater troupe growing up or whatever. Hmm. And so I was part of some plays, you oh, know, nice. uh, yeah, I actually didn't know that mama's boy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, I'm a, what can I say? I'm a man of the fine arts. And so <laughs> I'm just cultured. So anyway, I was in these plays and one play that we did was Aladdin and I was the genie in Aladdin. So I channeled my inner Robin Williams, inner Will Smith. Nice. And you know, was the worst genie in the history of genies. (laughs) But anyway, I always think of that scene in Aladdin where Aladdin finds the lamp and he rubs it. And all of a sudden his life has changed forever, you know, because this genie pops out and he's flamboyant. He's loud. (laughs) um, And he, he tells Aladdin, you get three wishes, you know, you can't take any of them back, but for those three wishes, I'll give you whatever you want. It's kind of what happens here (laughs) where Solomon um, has this dream where God appears to him and God tells Solomon, Hey, ask whatever you want and I'll give it to you. Hmm. You know, it's kind of, it's crazy, but Solomon um, does well here. Yeah. He, he faces this test. He's being presented as a new Adam in the narrative where he has the opportunity to grab whatever he wants. But he, he speaks with humility. Uh, for instance, you want to read verse 7 of 1 Kings 3? For sure. It says, And now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of David my father. Although I am but a little child, I do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too many to be numbered or counted for a multitude. Give your servant Therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people that I may discern between good and evil for who is able to govern this great people. You see the humility that he displays here Yeah, where he says, you know, I'm just a little child. I don't know how to go out or come in. It's a Hebrew idiom for leadership. So I don't know how to lead people. And here, (laughs) here I am. I'm swamped by all these people and I don't know what to do. So help. <laughs> That's his prayer. Give your servant an understanding mind to govern your people that I may discern between good and evil. Now, those alternatives, good and evil, are kind of the, the thread that's been following us from the very beginning, right? Mm. Where Adam and Eve had the choice to either allow God to mentor them, to apprentice them 
in teaching them good and evil and what they needed to know. Or they could take the shortcut, grab the fruit, and have that knowledge on their own time, which is, of course, what they did. Now, Solomon here is presented with a similar situation where he can either allow God to give him this discernment between good and bad, between Tov and Ra, or he can try to grab it for himself and lead however he wants to. And he passes the test, right? Unlike Adam and Eve, he says, I want to learn from you what is good and bad, how to lead this great people. And God is pleased with that. And he gives him his wishes. In fact, he says, um, not only will I give you a wise and discerning mind so that none like you has come before you and none like you shall arise after you. But he also says in verse 13 that he gives to Solomon even what he didn't ask for, both riches and honor, so that no other king shall compare with you all your days. So God immensely blesses Solomon because he's passed this test. Hmm. Like the, he is the new Adam here, but he's passed the test that Adam never passed. Yeah. So he's taken it another step. And this is just the, the origin story of a true like biblical superhero in a lot of ways. Yeah. Like it's almost like a celebratory moment. Yeah. Like if you've been paying attention to the story. Right. Because. Because we've had so much darkness. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. It's like finally a guy who is going to, you know, walk in wisdom. Right. <laughs> you know. Right. Uh, and then the kind of the next chapters just back that up. They're like man, this guy's great. <laughs> this guy's awesome. We have that really cool story of, you know, the the women fighting over the baby on whose it is. And he, you know, which is such a weird story. Hacks the system. To be honest. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, it's so, so many of these stories are super weird. You yeah, know, it's like, that is definitely one of them. Yeah. I mean, it's, I was, I was thinking about that as I was reading, uh, for the podcast and I was just like, man, this story is so weird. Mm. Like the fact that that one <laughs> mom was like, yeah, it's fine if you just chop it in half. Right. Like, I don't really care. Like, yeah, whatever. It's like, that just makes like, no what sense. What kind of human me. decency would allow? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Uh, so, yeah, Solomon is, uh, f- figures out just, a way to hack Just so we're not that assuming that you, that you, you know, know this. Yeah, walk us don't through know it the real story. Uh, there's these, like, it's like this story. It's, you know, God gives Solomon wisdom. And then the next story to kind of prove that God's given him wisdom is that these two women both have babies but uh one of the moms has um her baby dies and so while the other mom is sleeping she swaps the babies and uh she calls the living baby her own and leaves the other mom with the dead baby so they come before solomon trying to resolve the issue they're like hey you know one of them's like hey um i had a baby but this other lady stole it from me and replaced it with her dead kid. And the other woman is telling the opposite story. So Solomon's like in the middle, like trying to figure out what to do. So he's just like, Hey, just give me a sword. I'll just cut it in half and give you both half. Like, how about that? And one of them's like, no, 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 no. Like, just give it to the other one. Yeah. You know, like the, the true mom. Like any decent human would yeah, do. Yeah. <laughs> was just like, no, 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 just give it to the other one. I just don't want my baby to die. Right. And then the other one's just like, yeah, chop it in half. Like it'll, it'll be neither mine nor hers, you know? And then Solomon knew from that who the real mom was. Mm. Like such a weird story, yeah. But you know, it it was at that time that was to show the wisdom of Solomon. Like that story got spread everywhere, so that people were like, "Wow, this is a really wise king." You know, mm. um, it's. I mean, it's it's almost like here in America, our we have myths as well. And for instance, uh, and I'll say this: this hopefully will ring true with you too. Where growing up, I I don't even know where, when, how, but I heard the myth of George Washington chopping down the apple tree or whatever. I don't even remember exactly what it was, but I know like we have these myths in that are kind of in the lore of American history, where we just kind of tell those to our children to pass them on. And they're myths about our heroes that communicate like i don't even remember the story to be honest but i know it had something to do like the point of it was man this guy has integrity Mm. like george washington is that guy yeah and it's kind of like that with solomon where this story is passed on generation by generation by generation to say this guy was wise like imagine if you had two mothers like coming to you with this child like that that is a loaded situation Mm -hmm. and he just 
dices right through it you know yeah like solomon knew what was up but <laughs> he For had sure. control he That's was right. wise yeah. you know and the, he kind of faces this this ultimate test in some ways in chapter 10 of first kings when the queen of sheba comes to his kingdom and she has heard about all of the awesome things that solomon has been doing and she doesn't even believe it <laughs> she's like there's no way that this is true yeah but she comes to see solomon and she gets like this tour of his kingdom and he gives her presents and stuff. Like the guy is going, you know, he's, he's trying to impress her and, um, it works. Like after it, she says, man, I, I gotta be honest. I didn't think anything that I had heard about, I heard about you was true. Like it was, it was too wild to be true. But if I'm going to be like straight up, the half was not told me <laughs> like, hmm. They didn't even express to me like half of how great you are. So the queen is this like depicted as this righteous woman who's totally blown away by Solomon's kingdom, by his wisdom, by his rule. Like Solomon is the hero of this story. You know, Hmm. he is just absolutely killing it yeah and not only that but he also built the temple like yeah no i skipped deal. right over that yeah. right yeah <laughs> he literally built the temple which yeah. you know is a huge deal yeah in the history of israel which also just to point out if anybody listening you know read first kings and you get bogged down with the details of the temple uh read it through the light of this is a reflection of the garden of eden yes. and it makes it so much more interesting because i think that's the point of like the whole structure of the temple and them giving us all the details is to remind us of the garden of Eden. And this is where, you know, heaven and earth meet God space and human space. Um, and yeah, just, just, re- just remember that as you're reading it. Cause I know it can seem really boring and like, why are we being told about all these trees? And yeah. Right. <laughs> all this gold. And you know, why are you just laying all this out? But I think it's there for a point. So. Yeah. And it's, yeah, I, I wish we could just camp out in all these stories because for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, a lot of the times, the most boring ones turn out to be the the coolest, maybe because they're the most boring on the surface. And then when you realize like, oh, wow, no, that's actually yeah. really cool. It just, you know, shines a light in that darkness of boringness. <laughs> for sure. So, yeah, the, these stories are just, you know, these these books are designed for you to spend a lifetime exactly reading yeah. through them over and over again and meditating on them. And also, I do want to point out um, before we kind of move on is is just to make sure we're plugging in the story in the right place. Solomon is David's son. Oh yeah. <laughs> I don't know if we just blatantly said that earlier or not, but um, at the beginning of First Kings, David is on his deathbed basically, um, and you know they're looking for a new king. One of David's sons is a self-proclaimed king starts doing some stuff. And uh, then David's like, no, actually Solomon's going to be king. So that's kind of where the story picks up. And then Solomon starts. I just wanted to point that in or plug that, sorry, point that out so that you can like (laughs) plug in exactly where we left off. I know. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) So So Solomon's awesome. Yeah. And we're going to come back to this, but Solomon is so wise and amazing that he becomes the godfather of this entire wisdom tradition yeah. in ancient Israel. Like he's he's awesome. For sure. Like the book literally says in 1 Kings 4 verse 32 that uh, that Solomon spoke 3,000 proverbs. Yeah. And his songs were 1,005. Like what a man. Like that is you insane. Know? Yeah. <laughs> um, and I do actually want to come back to that. But before we kind of springboard off of that passage, uh, I think Solomon in spite of his greatness, would would be the first to tell you that he hardly lived his his life wisely in every area. Because like we were saying with the Titanic analogy, he he looks awesome throughout this narrative. But there are these little cracks like chinks in the armor that are being introduced as we walk through the story. Because for all of the good that Solomon exhibited, he also has another side to him. So in 1 Kings 5, there's this almost like throwaway little mention of Solomon ruling like the old Pharaoh of Egypt. If you remember back in Exodus, this Pharaoh is oppressing the Israelites. He's forcing them to labor, like to build his his dreams for him. And Solomon does the same thing, except He's actually oppressing his own people here. 
where he forces labor out, out of his own people. He appoints cruel bosses over them, just like the Pharaoh. So he uses them to achieve his own ends. He takes advantage of his own people to achieve his, his goals. Well, then also 1 Kings 10 tells us about all this gold that Solomon racks up. If you remember, um, if, if you've read through these stories before, and I mean, if you're like everyone else, you're just blown away by his riches, where it tells us that they didn't even count silver in the days of, of Solomon. It was, it was literally just the gold because there was just so much silver. Um, and th- it didn't even matter that they counted the gold um, only. It's, it's, it's almost like if we stopped counting 20s, like $20 bills, if we were just like, we're only going to count hundreds or above, you know, like Solomon was just ridiculously wealthy. And so he racks up all this gold and he imports all of these horses from Egypt. Now that's a random little detail. <laughs> um, but also to give some context, horses back then were kind of like the tanks of that time where um, they're fighting hand to hand. And so if you have a horse, you have a major advantage over, you know, this lowly peasant on his foot, you know, <laughs> uh, on feet. So, yeah. So Solomon racks up these horses from Egypt, which he's also married to, like he, he married a, a wife from Egypt. Dude. So there was like a peace treaty there. Yes. And he, uh, the first verse of chapter 11 tells us that he loved many foreign women. Yeah. So, well, one thing that's funny, we didn't mention this earlier, but at the beginning of chapter four, Right before it says that Solomon, you know, loved God, walked in all, like kept his commandments, all his things. There's this little paragraph that's just like randomly and, and Solomon took, uh, took a wife from Egypt, like, yeah. you know, like, you know, and, <laughs> yeah. uh, and, and talks about all that. So it's kind of like a, an uh-oh moment. I remember, you know, like if you just read it straight up, it's like, you read that, you're like, oh no, like, this is not going to go good. Yeah. And then it's like. Solomon loved God. And you're like, yeah. okay, maybe, oh, we're, wow, okay. maybe we're doing okay here. <laughs> yeah. But then obviously it comes back to Bible. That's a great point. That's kind of a, a really early chink in the armor mm, that yeah. then pops up later, kind of multiplies because for sure that one paragraph turns into literally, is it 700 wives mm-hmm. and 300 concubines? Yeah. So like these thousand women that he's just like using for his own ends pretty much, but they're in turn using him to their own ends, That's right, you know? Yeah. So it's just a really toxic situation. And uh, in fact, verse four, first Kings 11 tells us that when Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods and his heart was not wholly true to the Lord, his God. So we started off by saying um, Solomon loves God and he's so humble and he chooses to let God give him the wisdom instead of grabbing it for himself. He is blessing all of these people with his wisdom. He builds the temple. He blows away the, the queen of Sheba. He does all of these awesome things. But in the end, his heart is turned away because of these, these little chinks in his armor. And what's interesting is that back in Deuteronomy chapter 17, God kind of foresaw what was going to happen. And he said, like, when you go and grab a king for yourselves. Like when you choose to appoint a king over yourselves, then um, first of all, it's going to bring my heart, (laughs) you know, God speaking. But second of all, that king has to do some things. He has to be a Bible nerd, essentially, Mm. (laughs) is what they say. He has to like read the the, the Torah, like the the first five books of the, the Old Testament over and over and over again. He has to be subject to the priests. Like he is unlike any other king supposed to be at least. But then also God says that he must not acquire many horses for himself or cause the people to return to Egypt in order to acquire many horses. That's a really Mm. weird random hyperlink, you know, (laughs) that we just uh, were connected to with the Solomon story. It also says that he shall not acquire many wives for himself, lest his heart turn away. Another hyperlink, ding, ding, ding. Also, nor shall he acquire for himself excessive silver and gold. Well, (laughs) so I mean, the Solomon story here is subtly, you know, we're kind of pointing all this stuff out at once, but if you're reading through the narrative, he's doing all these awesome things as well. But the narrator is, is giving us these hints where, oh man, he racks up the gold and the silver. 
He racks up the wives. He racks up the horses, specifically from Egypt. Really random detail. And then last in in verse 20 of Deuteronomy 17, it, it tells us that his heart may not be lifted up above his brothers. So Solomon started off with this spirit of humility, and I don't know how to lead these people. And then just a couple chapters later, he's bossing them around. He's oppressing his own people. His heart is lifted up above them. Hmm. So as we walk through the narrative, we see the good parts of Solomon. He's this awesome character. Yeah. So also so just the, to, the dark side. Yeah. So just to like put this in a nutshell, it's like Solomon is David's son. He's appointed to be king. Starts out really awesome. Asks the Lord for wisdom. He gets it. All these people are coming in to inquire of him for his wisdom. He builds the temple, which was like the dream of David, which is just super awesome. Um, he really establishes his kingdom and uh, it's just like full of beauty and splendor and like all this stuff. And it's like really cool. Mm. Uh, but then at the same time, it's like that chapter, what was it? Deuteronomy 17? Yeah. Yeah. It's like all about all the stuff that he's doing. It's like downfall is he's just acquiring crazy wealth and uh, wives and horses from from Egypt, which is like literally exactly what Deuteronomy yeah, right. 17 is all about. It's like Deuteronomy 17 was specifically written for Solomon or something. Like yeah. it seems like. At least, or I think it's it really, it's the other way around. Like literally where first Kings is written in light of yeah. Deuteronomy 17. Like True. the narrator is saying, Hey, this guy is breaking all of those rules. Yeah. Every single one of them for sure. <laughs> down to the final detail. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like this great guy is crumpling on the inside for sure. Yeah. So yeah, Solomon is, uh, he really is a Jekyll and Hyde character where he has the good and the bad. Yeah. And actually, if you want, we can springboard into the wisdom literature. For now. sure, let's do it. I think it's a pretty yeah. good connector. So in that same so way- this is during the good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, kind of in the same way where the, the good is happening, but then the bad is also reflected in these books. Like it's, it's really intriguing how these- books uh, kind of tie together a lot of the the strands of Solomon's story. So in 1 Kings 4, which we were talking about earlier, this is this is pretty fascinating. So 1 Kings 4, um, it tells us that God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding beyond measure, this is verse 29, and breadth of mind like the sand on the seashore, so that Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all the people of the East and all the wisdom of Egypt. Now, there are three books in the Bible that are kind of grouped into the collection of wisdom books, wisdom literature. That those are Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Job. Now, what's fascinating is that in this little paragraph, we get links to each of those three. So the king's narrator is setting up the wisdom literature that we're about to talk about. So here in verse 30, it says that Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all the people of the East. Well, if you look at the beginning of Job, uh, Job chapter one in verse one, uh, it tells us that Job or Job chapter one, verse three, sorry, this man was the greatest of all the people of the East. So there's a little hyperlink between first Kings four and Job chapter one. Then also when it tells us that Solomon is unmatched in his wisdom and his wealth, that's a hyperlink to the first chapter of Ecclesiastes, where the preacher is reflecting on what's happened in his life. And he says that he was king over Israel and Jerusalem, and he had everything that was under the sun. He had great wisdom, surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me. He had great riches. So that's a hyperlink at the beginning of Ecclesiastes to this paragraph in First Kings chapter four. And then also earlier, Daniel, you read verse 32, which tells us that he spoke 3000 Proverbs and his songs were 1005, which is a hyperlink to the book of Proverbs. <laughs> so these, this is a very intentional from the, the authors of Proverbs, Ecclesiastes and Job to link those books hmm. back to Solomon yeah. and say that, yes, he has, he has dark sides, but also he is like the fountainhead of Israel's wisdom literature, where all of these books in some way trace back to him. So in terms of the wisdom literature, what's interesting is that we are two guys. I'm 22. You're 24. Nope. 20. Wait, I'm going to guess five. Yep. That's nice. It. Okay. <laughs> Close enough. You can rent a car. Congrats. That's right. Um, <laughs> so yeah. So we're like a 25 year old and a 22 year old mm -hmm. who are about to be talking about wisdom. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's an interesting little 
you know thing here so i i definitely want to say like we're not coming at this from a like an expert for sure perspective <laughs> of people who've mastered life because at yeah. least speaking for this side of the table where i am i have definitely not <laughs> mastered life for sure but at the same time um we are getting you know we're, we're all on this journey of life where we're all struggling through and hopefully something that we mentioned here might help you in your journey yeah um, as we talk sure. through the wisdom books so I kind of like to think of these three books. This is like one of my favorite thought experiments. Um, I like to think of these three books as kind of sitting on the front porch of, this is just for me, of my, my grandparents' house. And they're just sitting in rocking chairs and you walk up to them and you ask for their advice. And they're going to give you like very different answers mm. because they're very different books yeah. <laughs> and almost disturbingly different. Yeah. In a I way. mean, like contradictory. <laughs> yeah. At least... Like, it feels like that yeah, it, on the it surface. Yeah, it feels like they're contradictory. Yeah. Um, just like reading through them, you're like, dude, how in the world are all of y'all, you yeah. know, tracing back to the same guy? For like, sure. Was that guy, you know, split personality? Like, was he just struggling through well, some stuff? Specifically, like, Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, because they come yeah. right next to each other, right? Am yeah. I remembering that? Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Uh, and it's like you finish Proverbs and it's just like, I'm so hyped about life right, right now. Like, <laughs> you know, do good and good will come to you, do bad and, you know, bad's going to get, like you reap right. what you sow basically. Oh, it's and beautiful. it's like, it's like, dude, yeah, yeah. like I'll just choose life, you right. know? And then Ecclesiastes comes in and he's like, yeah, actually that's not exactly how that works. Yeah. Because <laughs> actually like bad people get rewarded sometimes and good people are left to suffer, you know? And it's like, uh, so which is it? Yeah. <laughs> you know, it, it's, it's a tension there. Yeah. You know? So it's like, if we're thinking about this as like on the front porch and let's like, for me, I like to think of them as characters, like mm. to personify the books. So if we're thinking about Proverbs, Proverbs, like you're saying is, is confident. Like to me, she would be like a brilliant young teacher. And it's not just that she's smart, like she's smart about literally everything, <laughs> work and relationships and money and sex and spirituality, integrity, like she has incredible insights, like things that you would never see on your own. Like this is the type of woman, like at least this is just my, uh, my thought experiment where this like Proverbs is always wearing a pantsuit, <laughs> like without exception. Proverbs is always in a pantsuit, um, and like her hair is always up. She's just focused, confident. She believes um, in what she in what she believes. Like she's idealistic in so many good ways, and she's confident because she sees this like like you're saying this like cause and effect pattern in the universe. She sees that from the very beginning, God has woven this thing called wisdom into the fabric of how things work in the world. Chapter three, verse 19 in Proverbs says that the Lord by wisdom founded the earth. So as God is knitting together the universe, as it were, he's using the needle of wisdom. <laughs> like he's knitting together this fabric of the universe with wisdom herself. So whenever people are making good and just and wise decisions, they're doing what God did in creation and that they're tapping into wisdom. They're tapping into this universal reservoir that God has provided for every human. On the other hand, when someone is making bad decisions, they're working against wisdom. They're, they're swimming against the tide. It's almost mm. like a craftsman who doesn't know their material. Like, for me, I like working with wood. So if I'm trying to work with wood, but I have no idea what I'm doing, like I'm, I'm trying to use these tools, but I don't know the difference between a skill saw and like a sander. <laughs> like if I don't know the difference between a saw and a sander, then I probably shouldn't pick up a saw because I might end up cutting my hand off, <laughs> you know? And it's kind of like that, where if you're working against um, the fabric of the universe, then you are a fool. You're unwise. Like it's a very black and white view mm -hmm. of reality that yeah. Proverbs has. And one example of this is Proverbs chapter one, verse 32 says that the simple are killed by their turning away and the complacency of fools destroys them. But whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. <laughs> the very confident, yeah. you know, like if you listen to me, life's going to be great. Yeah. Different places. It tells us that, you know, if you listen to me, you're going to be healthy. 
If you listen to me, you're going to be rich. If you listen to me, you're going to have a good life. Yeah. And like, it, it's so like Proverbs is so confident within this moral law of the universe, this cause and effect pattern that nobody can escape. And for us, we're reading this and we're, th- at least for me, I'm reading it and I'm thinking like, man, okay. Like, <laughs> so all I need to do is master this, this pattern. That's right. And I'll live the good life, yeah. you know? But then <laughs> it's, it's almost like if you walk up to them on the porch and you're asking for their advice, Proverbs, and let's say you're a senior who's about to graduate from high school and you have no idea what you're doing with your life. Yeah. Proverbs <laughs> is like the mentor that every high school student wants. Oh, dude. <laughs> Proverbs is just like, okay, you're going to go to UCA for two years. Uh, you're going to commit to two years at UCA. You're going to get knock out all of your gen eds. Well, and then- I don't know if it's like that. Like, I feel like it's more like when you go to college, you know, do these things and don't do these things and like everything will be okay. Yeah. Like, it's not so much like giving you specifics about like where to go and what to do. It's more like just wherever you go, you know, like if you follow these guidelines, like that's going to like work in your favor. Yeah. You know no, I think saying? you're, yeah, I think you're definitely right. I think where I was going with it was saying like the, the, that advice might be if you like go to this college, if you commit to these two years and then plan on doing whatever the last two years of college, mm. then you're set up for life. Yeah. Like you'll have a job uh, and yeah, you'll be fine, you know? Sure. So like, Either way, it's this co- this confident cause and effect mentality. Mm-hmm. And so that's super helpful. Like yeah. in a lot of areas of life, Proverbs is ridiculously helpful. Like she is the friend that you always want around mm. um, yeah. because she's going to give great advice. But then if she's sitting in like the first rocking chair, Ecclesi- <laughs> Ecclesiastes is, oh man, Ecclesiastes is this like middle-aged dude who's been through the ringer. Yeah. At least you know, like in his mind, (laughs) he's suffered a lot Mm. and he's not afraid to tell you about it. So he's like sitting back and he's listening to Proverbs, giving this confident wisdom on, you know, if you do this, this will happen. If you choose that, this will take place. And eventually Ecclesiastes just, he's had enough, you know, he's just like, it's too good to be true. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, like Ecclesiastes is the one who's treated wisdom as a life hack. So if uh, I think it actually would help to read beginning uh, in Ecclesiastes. Like if you want to read, like starting in Ecclesiastes chapter one, um, and we can read like maybe verses 13 through 18 or so. It'll give a, a nice taste of what Ecclesiastes is all about. Um, it's and kind of to skip back uh in the narrative actually if you want to go ahead just hit uh 13 through 18 of ecclesiastes one yeah okay and i applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven it is an unhappy uh it is an unhappy business that god has given to the children of man to be busy with i have seen everything that is done under the sun and behold all is vanity and striving after wind What is crooked cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be counted. I said in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me, and my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge, and I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceived that this also is but a striving after wind, (laughs) for in in much wisdom is much vexation. And he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. So like totally opposite of Proverbs. Yeah. Proverbs says, chase after wisdom, chase after knowledge, and you're going to do great. And Ecclesiastes is sitting there like, yeah, I went to college. <laughs> it sucked. <laughs> you know, I, I tried trade school. Welding is terrible. <laughs> And, you know, it just goes on and on. And he's just, he's not the guy you want around very often. Like when you walk up to ask for their advice, you're like, great. Ecclesiastes is here. But at the same time, he provides this ridiculously valuable perspective on everything. You know, like he, he gives you a perspective that is not necessarily fun, but is super valuable. For me, as I've kind of been in the wisdom literature for, I don't even know, a couple months now like as my 
one of my main like areas of meditation and thought. And for me, Ecclesiastes has been the book that is really stuck with me in this period of my, of my life. There are kind of two main thoughts that dominate Ecclesiastes, and they're both in that, that reading that we just had. First, um, the thought of vanity, and that's how it's translated in the ESV that we're reading. And the second one is the phrase under the sun. So one, one phrase that you just read, I've seen everything that's done under the sun and behold, all is vanity and a striving after wind. So the preacher, the teacher who's speaking here in Ecclesiastes, he says, everything's vanity. Now that's a kind of a weird word that we don't really use, at least in this way. You know, when we say vanity, we're either talking about someone who's like arrogant or we're talking about a makeup desk. Um, and neither one of those is at play here. Some other translations might have meaningless and that's, that's a better translation, but the, the word here literally means like smoke. So he says, like in verse two of Ecclesiastes, he says, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. So smoke, everything is smoke. That's a weird, uh, he's, it's intentional. He's using a metaphor here, but the point is like, if you try to grab smoke, like it's there, you can see it, you know, like you can see the smoke coming up from the fire, but when you try to grab it, you can't hold on. It doesn't make sense because it's here, but it's not here. (laughs) And that's, I think what he's doing where he's using this analogy of smoke to say, not, not that everything is meaningless. Cause I think that misses the point of the book to say everything's meaningless. It actually is, is giving a little too much of a cynical spirit to Ecclesiastes. Instead of saying everything is meaningless, his point is it doesn't make sense. Life doesn't make sense. Instead of saying vanity, we might say an enigma like this, this life is enigmatic where you can do all the right things, but life might still go very badly for you. And that's what he says that he's experienced. He's like, I did all the right things. You know, I got the degrees. I, you know, I was the golden child. <laughs> I did all the right things. But in the end, everything's smoke. Everything's temporary. Everything is not as it seems. So don't waste your life. It's kind of where he's coming from. And for me, that, that's been challenging for me as, uh, as I've been thinking through Ecclesiastes. Because I'm someone who, who, in some ways at least, wants to be a Proverbs. Like I want to grab hold of life and say, okay, if I do the right things, if I go get this degree, if I marry this person, if I move to this place, like if I do all of these things, then life is going to work out well for me, you know? And I'm, I probably would never say that out loud, but it's, it's almost like beneath my actions, like a subconscious governor of my decisions of, you know, I I would never just say, I expect that everything's going to go great for me if I do these things. But also it's kind of like, I expect, you know, it it makes sense. And that's, that's the perspective of Proverbs. The perspective of Proverbs is when you do these things, they will probably go right for you. Mm. But those, the thing is the book of Proverbs is not a book of promises. It's a book of Proverbs. Proverbs are just comparisons that say, it's probably going to work out like this, but it's definitely not guaranteed. And Ecclesiastes says, I am the exception. (laughs) You know, he speaks up and he says, if you want to build your life on all of these chases after wisdom and riches and fame and honor and glory and happiness, if you want to build your life on all of that, then, you know, it might work out for you. But more than likely, one day you're going to wake up and you're going to realize, wait, this is not as easy as I was expecting it to be. Yeah. Life isn't as simple as maybe Proverbs <laughs> would sometimes make it out to be. For sure. And I, and I mean, I guess, I don't know if this is where you're planning to go, but I guess Job is like the, the prime example of that. Yeah. Job, Job is, <laughs> if, we're, if we're using that front porch analogy still, Job is sitting back 
and he, he'll let Proverbs and Ecclesiastes duke it out. You know, <laughs> he'll let Proverbs give you this great specific advice. He'll let Ecclesiastes tear all of that great advice down. <laughs> and he's just sitting back and he's listening because Job is the guy who, you know, in his younger days, he probably was a Proverbs. He did all the right things. He lived a good life and he was rewarded for it. He was the richest guy, the wealth, the the wisest guy in all of his, re- like mm. Job was that guy. Yeah. But then life turned Job into an Ecclesiastes. <laughs> and when you read through the book of Job, you see that, like you see Job is in a dark, dark place externally and internally. He's lost everything on the outside and on the inside, he's crumbling. And he, 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 ne- he ho- always holds fast to his faith in God. Like, even when he's accusing God, even when he's, you know, falling apart, he's always chasing after God. And that's the key. That's what gives Job like this incredible depth for us. But Job turned into an Ecclesiastes in his life because um, he, he saw the other side of it. He saw it, it's almost like um, when really, really bad things happen to us, it's hard to hold on to that feeling. But there's a feeling that we get when they happen that it's just a clarity and it's a, it's a clarity that you never would ask for in a way, because this terrible thing had to happen to you for you to see it. But it's a clarity that says this stuff that I'm using my life on, it doesn't really matter, you know? <laughs> and, um, so what am I going to do? That's what Ecclesiastes is, is presenting to us. It's, it's presenting to us that life is an enigma and, if I can waste my life chasing after um, my own like self-assurance and, and whatnot. But one day I'm going to wake up and find that life wasn't as simple as I expected it to be. That's what happens to Job. But in the end, Job doesn't feel the need to like push his perspective over Proverbs and Ecclesiastes in this advice. He, he doesn't feel the need to say, hey, you know, like, College is great, but it might not be the move for you or college is fantastic. You need to spend 12 years there or whatever. Like he, he'll probably give you that advice, but you might have to ask him about it later. Mm. You know, like when you're on your own, Yeah. the thing that Job is really there for is 20 years down the road. This is, you know, I'm just thinking out loud thought experiment, but I think this is really what Job is there for 20 years down the road. When you went to college and you did all the right things, like you followed all of Proverbs, amazing advice. And things were going super well for you. Like you got a great job right out of college. You had all the degrees behind your name. You had a great church situation and family, like you're having kids, you you know, you have a beautiful life and then it all falls apart. And obviously I don't wish this on anyone who's listening to this, but we all experience this to some extent, like our lives all fall apart, you know, in different ways. And Job is the one who it will still be sitting on that front porch <laughs> 20 years later. When you go back, he's the one who, because of his life experiences, is big enough to welcome you back in when you've done all the right things. You've done everything Proverbs and Ecclesiastes would call you to, and everything still goes wrong. I think that's what Job is there for, where Job provides perspective um, that like within his... He's, he's like this older man for me <laughs> where he has these kind eyes um, and you can just tell in those eyes, there's space for your dark thoughts, for your honest truth about like who you've, who you've become, where you've been, that kind of thing, because Job's been there. <laughs> like Job is shamed in a lot of ways in his book where He's like, literally his friends are the original gaslighters <laughs> where the, where the point of like, in Job, they're like, dude, you're a terrible person. That's why you're going through all this stuff. Mm. And he's like, no, I haven't done anything. And they're like, no, 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 no. Trust us. <laughs> yeah. Like we're your best friends. We know, you know, and you're just like, man, that's psychological, the physical, spiritual torture. Like Job's going through it all. So Job, Job's been exposed where he's screaming at God. He's, he's saying all these crazy things and he's humbled in the end of the book. And he, it, not that he was ever just like a terrible figure. He's just like, he, he gives to us the full extent of human emotions, like real life psychological trauma from um, terrible events. 
So Job has been through all of that stuff. And because of that, he's big enough to say, like, I'm here, you know, like, I'm not scared mm-hmm. of, I'm not scared of your Ecclesiastes moments. And I'm also not yeah. scared of your Proverbs moments, you know? And I don't even mean to intimate that Job is somehow superior to Proverbs or Ecclesiastes, because it, it's not. Um, it just means it's in a different stage in life. Like, Proverbs will meet us in different stages of life. So will Ecclesiastes, and so will Job. And, you know, for me, I think I'm in a little bit of an Ecclesiastes moment, as I kind of said earlier. Like, that's, for me, Ecclesiastes is just hitting different than the other books right now. <laughs> you know, not that I'm in like a cynical stage of life, but it, it's more of uh, like almost an existential stage of life where I'm thinking through like, wow, okay, so in my heart, I need to get over this stuff where I'm like, I'm relying on myself to accomplish these things or whatever, and then life will be happy. Um, <laughs> it's like this this quote from Blaise Pascal really is unintentionally like the best summary of Proverbs ever or Ecclesiastes ever. He says, we're never satisfied with the present. We anticipate the future is too slow in coming as if we can hasten its course or we, we recall the past to stop its too rapid flight. We are so unwise that we wander about in times which are not ours and do not think of the only time which actually belongs to us. We are so idle that we dream of those th- of those times which are no more, and we thoughtlessly overlook the only time that exists. It's because the present is generally painful to us, so we can seal it from our sight because it troubles us. And if, if it happens to be delightful to us, we regret to see it pass away. We try to sustain it by the future and try to control matters which are not in our power, preparing ourselves for a time that we have no certainty of reaching. So we should each examine our thoughts and we'll find that they are all occupied with either the past or the future. We scarcely ever think of the present. And when we do, it is only to take light of it, a light from it to arrange the future. The present is never our end. The past and the present are our means. The future alone is our end. And so we truly never live, but rather hope to live. And as we are always preparing to be happy, it is inevitable that we should never be so. That's really the message of Ecclesiastes. Yeah. Ecclesiastes says you can you can grab after the smoke of the past, you can grab after the smoke of the future, or you can choose to trust God with both of those and live your life right now. Yeah, dude. That's good. Man. It's so cool watching you talk about this stuff. Like I can tell that, you know, as you said, you, you've really poured over this stuff and I can just see how passionate you are about it. It's really cool. <laughs> man. Like, yeah. We need wisdom. <laughs> For sure. I need wisdom. Absolutely. Yeah, me too, man. Me too. Shoot. Yeah. Um, I, I guess for me, it's just so crazy that these three books are in the Bible. <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah, they you know? fulfill this like really unique role, mm. you know? Um, I don't want to just like, dom- I've been talking for forever. Uh, I don't want to just dominate the whole conversation, but instead I'll read from someone else so he can dominate the conversation. <laughs> it's this really cool quote from one of my favorite Old Testament scholars, a guy named Christopher Wright. He says, the most challenging difference between the wisdom writings and the rest of the Old Testament arises when wisdom authors express doubts about or question the validity of some of the mainline affirmations of other parts of the Bible. And yet, this is precisely the purpose of this material and the canon of scripture to compel us towards an honest faith that's willing to acknowledge the presence of doubts we cannot dismiss and questions we can't always fully answer given our human limitations. In other words, so, like for some people, Ecclesiastes and the wisdom books in general just like make us really uncomfortable because <laughs> we're like, why do these books that on the surface, I like, I don't think they're contradictory. I think they're very complimentary, but on the surface, they feel contradictory. Like it's, it's a weird tension to wrestle through. So for, for a lot of us that can make us really uncomfortable for others of us, it's a, it's a breath of fresh air yeah. <laughs> to say like built into our scriptures is this space to wrestle with God, to wrestle with life. So for a lot of us, it's a, it's a breath of fresh air, but either way it's complicated because that's kind of the point of these books yeah. is to go a different direction than some of the big picture points of the rest of the Bible of the Old Testament, especially. But that's in the end why they're here. As Christopher Wright says, 
to compel us towards an honest faith that's willing to acknowledge the presence of doubts we cannot dismiss and, and questions we can't always fully answer, given our human limitations. In other words, as, as Proverbs says, the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. Mm. So the beginning of living a wise, good life, in, in essence, is realizing that I cannot live a wise and good life, <laughs> that I don't have the wisdom to do that. Uh, the fear of the Lord, man, is, is one of those um, one of those topics that uh, I think we've talked about this before, where it's like you can study the fear of the Lord for like a whole day. And then in, in the, after like you wake up the next day and, and you just feel like you've made zero progress whatsoever. Mm -hmm. You're like, last night I had this under wraps, but now I have no idea what this means. <laughs> I've never gone to bed feeling like I had it under wraps. Not gonna lie. <laughs> Dude, it's, it's one of those like, complicated subjects for sure. Um, but I think it's a great place maybe to end our thoughts for today because yeah. the fear of the Lord, as, as Solomon says, is the beginning of knowledge. So well, let's, before we do that though, uh -huh. we do need to talk about the rest of Kings. Yes. Okay. Mm. So, remember, okay, let me do this and then cap us out with Kings. Cause that'll put us back into okay, the story. Perfect. Yeah, okay. Let's do it. So fear of the Lord. It's such a big concept. I'm, we're not going to be able to break it all down. I, I cannot break it all down. I promise you that. But here's here's where I'm at on it. And so maybe it'll help you as well. So, and it, the kind of the big picture point is, if this is the beginning of knowledge, then we really want to try to have a grasp on something about this, you know, because <laughs> this is like the beginning of living the good life of wisdom. So God is awesome in so many ways, you know, like Apparently, the being that can just create everything out of his creative power is pretty intimidating to be around. <laughs> because like every time we encounter someone in the Bible who is in the presence of God, they're like terrified, you know? They're just afraid of God. So that literal like type of fear, I think, is involved here to some extent. But I don't think that, that the concept of, of the fear of the Lord is primarily about feeling afraid of God in a way that like puts up a barrier between us and him. It's not about being terrified of him and living in a place of fear because first John four tells us that perfect love casts out fear. So God has displayed perfect love toward us. So we don't have to have that like physiological fear where our blood pressure rises. When I think about God, and I'm afraid to talk to God. That's not how we should feel about God. Instead, having the fear of the Lord is about a healthy sense of all for God and of my place in the universe. So. I am, am this tiny little dependent creature and all of my life and ability and knowledge comes from outside of me. You know, like I'm, I'm really nothing. If, I think the fear of the Lord recognizes that. And it says that it's, it's a moral mindset that recognizes that I am not God and I don't get to make up my own definitions of good and evil or right and wrong. Like that's, that's not on me. Instead, I have to trust in the Lord with all my heart and not lean on my own understanding. Instead, in, in all of my ways, acknowledge him and he will direct my paths. And as Proverbs 3 says, don't be wise in your own eyes, fear the Lord and depart from evil. So the opposite of fearing the Lord is being wise in my own eyes. The opposite of fearing the Lord is not realizing that I am not God. <laughs> so I think that's what the fear of the Lord is about. It's about saying, I am just this little human. I don't know how to go out and come in, as Solomon says. And um, so these contradictions, as it were, in life, in the scriptures, these tensions that we feel between Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, the tensions I feel all the time in my life between going this way and going that way, just give it up to God. That's the fear of the Lord. It's to say, there is a God and it is not me. <laughs> and so like focusing on that true north of wisdom, which says everything that I do, I don't know. I don't know what I'm doing in life. I don't know if we ever figure that out, but I want to give it up to God and say, God, take my mess and bless other people with it, you know, and take this darkness and make it light for the world. So I think that's kind of the, the biggest point of the wisdom books Yeah, is to, to humble us, to say, you know, 
I can read through Proverbs and feel like I can run through a brick wall <laughs> and come out the other side. Or I can read through Ecclesiastes and feel super existential and feel like I can never figure out anything in life. I can read through Job and be like, man, life sucks. Like, you know, like yeah. there's so many bad things that happen. <laughs> Dude, it's so funny hearing you say, I read Proverbs and I feel like I can run through a brick wall because I feel like Proverbs would be like, don't run through a brick wall yeah, and everything right? will work out. <laughs> so it's almost like... That's a good point. <laughs> <laughs> the spirit of Proverbs though. So yeah, I know. Says, yeah, trust exactly. me, I know. you can run through that wall. I just, it's just... Yeah, but you're so, you're so right though. Yeah. <laughs> Oh man. But, but yeah. yeah, that's like the wisdom of Solomon. Yeah. You know, that we're that we're talking about as he's coming in and he is asking God for wisdom and it seems like it's such a simple thing, but I think through his wisdom books we can see that it's not so simple. Um and also it's just like even though Solomon had all of that wisdom it didn't necessarily fix everything for him. Yeah. yeah. Which is really interesting. Um because that's one thing that I wrestle with all the time. It's like, dude, this guy was so wise and he had 700 wives. Like, how does that mm. even make sense? You know? Um, but I guess uh, one thing, uh, as we kind of wrap up Kings, because it's it's like, it's kind of easy to wrap up Kings. I know we've talked about yeah, this. Yeah. <laughs> um, because it's just a downward spiral from here. It's like Solomon has his downfall. Um, he falls into idolatry. And then he has a son named Rehoboam, who uh, also just, it just gets worse. And then the kingdom divides, actually, um, into a northern and southern kingdom. Um, one of them's in Jerusalem, uh, and one of them's in, wait, sorry, am, am I, yeah, yeah, Jerusalem and uh, Judah? Is that right? No. No, Jerusalem's Israel, in Israel Judah. and Judah are the two different. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Jerusalem's the capital of Judah. Yes, Jerusalem's the capital of Judah, and then Samaria yeah. is the capital Israel. of Israel. Yeah. And so it's just this whole, it just tells stories of all these kings, and it it basically tells a few criteria for each of the kings, but one of the main ones is like, are they falling into idolatry or are they, are they um, following the Lord? And if you read through the story, you're going to find out that not many um, follow the Lord. Most of them fall into idolatry. Um, but there are a few, um, uh, like people like Josiah come to mind, um, who do who do follow um, do follow Yahweh. But this is a really interesting part to talk about because this is mainly where we see the prophets popping in, because God appointed prophets to basically prophesy to the people about mm. what the Lord had to say about the things that were going on. Mm. And so remember last week, how we kind of talked about how um, the old Testament is a lot shorter as far as like story goes, than I think we give it. Um, I said it ended, or we said it ended in Chronicles last week. It actually ends in Nehemiah. So <laughs> something we need to point out there. Whoops. Um, yeah, that's our bad. But, um, but this is where we see the prophets popping in. It's like, you know, we, we're following this main storyline through Kings, but if you read through the prophets, you can plug them into the story of Kings and see the specific moments that they're popping in to, to speak a word to the people on behalf of God, uh, which is just super cool. Mm -hmm. um, but toward the end of the prophets, uh, we see that they start saying, like, y'all have just gone too far. Uh, like, y'all have gone past the point of return. You know, idolatry is just so bad. At the end of Kings, they're offering child sacrifices. Um, and so finally Kings tells the story of the people going into exile, um, which basically means another nation came in and took over and took the Israelites, uh, as slaves basically, or mm -hmm. scattered them across yeah. the world. So, um, that's where we find ourselves at the end of Kings. And it's just so crazy because it feels like, honestly, at this point, it's such an exhausting feeling of this is all that ever happens in the Bible. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like God raises up somebody and it goes great for a little bit. And then all of a sudden it just goes to chaos. Sob story. <laughs> yeah. And it just feels like that over and over again. Yeah. Um, so it just feels like a tragedy. Yeah. Over and over again. For sure. Yeah. And, and it's kind of depressing to read these stories sometimes. Like, yeah. you know, it's kind of cool to read the history of Israel and stuff, but at the same time, it's really depressing. But, you know, through all of this, it's important to realize that God's 
still working to bring about the promise that he gave to Abraham, Mm. um, the promise of the king that's going to come and make things right. And so even though it's still just like this repetitive, just like what is humanity doing? Um, there's always the hint of hope that God is working to bring about his purposes in the world. Yeah. There's a new so, Solomon coming. Yeah, that's right. A new David coming. Yeah. New Adam coming. Yeah. All of them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. So um, yeah, that's where that's where Kings leaves off and that's where we're going to leave off. Yeah. My favorite, my, my favorite quote right now. Go for it. Everything will be all right in the end. Hmm. If it's not all right, it's not yet the end. That's where we're at in the story, yeah. where it's not all right. Well said. Which means it's not yet the end. Yeah. Well so we're said. getting there. <laughs> well said. Thank you so much for listening to this episode on the Scattered Abroad Network. We are grateful for your continued support, as well as your continued prayers. If you would like to find out more about our network, please visit our website at scatteredabroad.org. We look forward to studying with you again soon. May God bless you.